Hi there, Leah Lem here with a quick note about the Native Lights podcast feed and what you can expect from Minnesota Native News in the next few months. We are hosting COVID-19 community conversations again on this channel, but unlike last time where we stopped doing Native Lights for a while, Cole and I have decided we're going to keep sharing those conversations as well. So on this feed, you can expect the COVID-19 community conversation and an episode of Native Lights each week for the next few months. So please enjoy. This is a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations with host Leah Lem. COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health. Anine, hello, I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech, and thank you for joining me for more conversations, more explorations about how Indian country in Minnesota is responding and adapting to the current pandemic. Today on the show, Seven Generation Games has been braiding math, language, and Indigenous history into educational games for students in schools across the country. And right now, they're at about 50,000 users. And in November of 2020, the U.S. Department of Agriculture awarded the company a million-dollar COVID-19 rapid response grant to produce a new platform to help meet the challenges in education during the pandemic. The program is called Growing Math and creates resources for teachers. So we'll learn more about that today with my guests. Maria Burns Ortiz started the company with her mother in 2013 and has led its efforts to close the math gap for students from Indigenous, Latino, underserved, and rural communities. And Juliana Taken Alive leads the new Growing Math program. I'm super excited to share our conversation, and we cover so much ground that I'm going to get us started right away. So here's my conversation with Seven Generation Games co-founder and CEO, Maria Burns-Ortiz, and Director of Regional Partnerships, Juliana Taken Alive. Hey, boujou, boujou. Can I have you both introduce yourselves? I'll start with Maria. I'm Maria Burns-Ortiz. I'm co-founder and CEO of Seven Generation Games, and I am based in Minneapolis. And hello, my name is Juliana Taken Alive. I am the Director of Regional Partnerships for Seven Generation Games, and I am located on the Standing Rock Nation, where I'm an enrolled member and um, citizen. Let's talk a bit of about the background of Seven Generation Games. So could I get a summary of what Seven Generation Games is? and the significance of the name. Seven Generation Games is an educational video game company. And actually, we were founded to close the math gap initially uh, working with tribal schools. So we started actually out at Spare Lake, uh, Dakota Nation, and then we ended up um, working with Turtle Mountain and uh, a number of other tribes kind of expanding out from there. But really, our goal was, you know, Indigenous youth, like many students in this country, it's not just an Indigenous issue, but we're underperforming in math, and we wanted to find a way to help close that gap. And we also saw the way that culturally relevant content, one, was absent from the curriculum, and two, could be used as a way to leverage that and teach both, you know, culture and math 
in a game. Uh, so that's how we started the company. And Seven Generation Games, obviously the name came from a lot of conversations we had with a bunch of the schools and, and folks that we were working with. And we talked about, you know, when we're really looking at the transformative power that education can have, um, it just made perfect sense. Sure, because we're always looking down or looking uh, seven generations ahead. So that's great. And let's see. So we'll get more into how Seven Generation Games is responding to the pandemic and expanding its reach and so on. But can you tell me how a, a little bit more of the creation story, perhaps, of Seven Generation Games? My co-founder, Dr. Amory DeMars, and Eric Longi, who is now the Tribal Historic Preservation Officer for Spirit Lake, um, but used to be the school board president, were doing the national in, the data analysis for the National Indian Education uh, Study in D.C. So it's a, a study looking, the largest study in the country looking at um, American Indian and Alaska Native youth and kind of how the education all, multiple facets of education. And they saw that Indigenous youth were underperforming in math at a greater rate than, than other students. But they also saw that, you know, the more time spent on culture, the more kids were, were, were engaged in the curriculum, right? But at the same time, the more time spent on culture, worse kids were doing in some of these standardized subjects. So in math and language arts. And Eric was saying, you know, it makes sense because if you take an hour out of class to study, you know, out of the day and you're working on Lakota culture or Dakota language, or it's coming out of other times. So you have less time across the board. And they were going back to uh, the airport and in the taxi, Eric said, I don't accept that the children on my reservation will know math or know their culture. We need to find a way to fix it. That was kind of where the idea was born. I always joke that there's, you know, that movie montage scene where everything happens really fast and then you cut to the point where you have the, the final part. Um, and that's kind of what happened. So we thought, you know, how can we do that? How can we engage youth in a way that's relevant and exciting and interesting? And we thought, you know, kids will play a video game a countless number of times, 50 times did incrementally further and you don't see that when it comes to math worksheets, right? Um, but what could we do to leverage that? And then what do really good video games have? They have good stories and cultural history as, and just, you know, even life, daily life in general is so full of incredible stories. And so we thought if we could combine those two aspects um, into something that teaches math, um, we'd be on to something. So that's how we ended up uh, building out our first games. Our first game was Spirit Lake, which we built out uh, on Spirit Lake. We ended up expanding from there. We did, uh, we were working there. And then we had Carol Davis uh, from Turtle Mountain say, well, you know, you've done that. When are you doing an Ojibwe game? And so we said, okay, well, so we kind of expanded from there. And then we were working um, the three affiliated tribes in North Dakota said, we'd like to build out some games um, with you guys. So we built out then. And then we, uh, Thunder Valley CDC on, on Pine Ridge said, can you do a game? Uh, we'd been doing some games then also in bilingual games in English and Spanish. And they said, can you do some in Lakota? And we said, well, we could do the game part, but the language part is, is and they said, no, we, that's the part we can handle. And so we built out actually bilingual games in Lakota um, and English. And then we've got other projects in the works now is so working with the uh, the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs in Oregon and uh, working on a game that's also bilingual in Navajo. So it kind of started, we thought we'd, we'd work on this very small thing, working with a specific set of students to, to improve math. And then we started to see it kind of grow from there. It's been really exciting. Let's talk a little bit about where you are now. 
I saw that there was a $1 million COVID-19 rapid response grant uh, to help you expand your reach. Uh, how have you seen the pandemic affect communities and students you serve? And what does your response look like? Juliana? Yeah, okay, so that this is the, the, the growing map project. It's already something that Seven Generation Games was doing, was working with the, the math games, the um, online. So when growing math started, it was to accommodate the distance learning and teachers that were teaching via, you know, Google Classroom, Zoom, you know, whatever. So it's easier for them to use something that already exists. And then once, you know, we start going back to face-to-face, they can keep using it, you know. So it's not, you know, something we bring in and then something you change, but something that they can continue to use, um, and so that's that, you know, that's the the part that, um, you know, I've, I was involved in. And I like that when we did the research for the Natural Science Foundation, 70% of the people that interviewed were Indigenous educators, Indigenous folks that, you know, are school leaders. And my thinking and what I visit with, um, you know, people about is that's really important to this um, from my perspective is because those Indigenous educators were once Indigenous students. And those experiences are really valuable in terms of, you know, where they went to school, if they went to BIA school, public school, private school, wherever. So now that they're on a different level as an educator, they have good insight. So, and the other thing is to like produce something that our students as Indigenous students can identify with. Because if you open a, you know, Houghton Mifflin math book, social studies book, you don't see, we don't see ourselves. You know, we don't get to see ourselves, our culture, as it is today, as Maria had mentioned, not, you know, just in the past. So we get that misconception from people that don't know about our history and culture is like, do you still live in teepees? You know, that, that kind of thing. So what Growing Math is, is connecting, um, creating resources for teachers in terms of like um, lessons, videos, and then connecting that with the games. And we show teachers how to use the games, how to use the reports, and then how to make that connection with the lessons that are being created. And and the one thing that I would say, too, just to add is, and it's all at no cost to to schools uh, in Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, Oregon, New Mexico, Arizona. And also we say, if you're not in that area, let us know. But really, because it's funded by USDA, we wanted to get it into the hands of as many kids in schools as possible. Great. And what has the response been then? Um, What are you hearing from folks who use it, from students who use it, and teachers, parents? So far, we've trained about 100 teachers, Maria. You think? Yeah, about 100 teachers. And in South Dakota, where I am, um, I, you know, we've gotten to at least seven school districts in South Dakota. Um, I'm not too sure about North Dakota and Minnesota. I know we've, we've worked with the loose schools in Minnesota, but I'm not sure of the stats there more than I'm not that familiar as I am with South Dakota. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the thing that's been super exciting to us is that number, Julia mentioned, you know, we're, we're just at closing right now on, and on 100. We had set out to do 30 by that point, 35, and we've already hit 100. And this is just, we really started, yes, they said we had our first beta cohort that launched in January. And so it was really supposed to start fully March 1. And so we've already seen that huge interest, which I think has been really exciting to us. Um, because, you know, you're going to do something and you hope it works out. You hope people are interested, but it isn't really until you open it up and start hearing from teachers that you know if it does or not. And so that's been really exciting to us. You're listening to a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations. 
COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health. I'm Leah Lem. Today I'm speaking with Seven Generation Games co-founder and CEO, Maria Burns-Ortiz, and Director of Regional Partnerships, Juliana Taken Alive. We're talking about how the company is helping to close the math gap for many students through fun, engaging, and culturally-based games. Here's the rest of our conversation. Maria, you mentioned story. a good story will help uh, make an engaging game. Are there any other secrets to creating an engaging game for the, the younger players? You know, what we do is we build our games out with kids, right? Mm. So we have actual game design workshops. We don't create something and give it to the kids and say, what do you think? Because that's not really asking for input. That's asking for approval, right? And so often that's what it is. What we do is we create the games from the very beginning. You know, we say, okay, we want to do a game about what, right? And so for example, our newest game coming out is Making Camp Dakota Past and Present. And that one's really I mean, I love all of the games, right? It's kind of like I have multiple children and I love them all the same. And then it's kind of the games. Each one is is a different way. But what I'm really excited about this game is the first few games we were just starting out and we built them out with, with, with you know, elders and tribes and different schools and things. But we really centered a lot of those early conversations with the educators and the elders or the folks with the tribes that we were working with saying, what do you want these games to be about, right? And that was wonderful and not and incredibly important. And a lot of them were very historically based, you know. Then we had the kids say to us, you know, all the games that you're doing are about 100 years ago or 200 years ago. And what about today? What about games showing us now? And that was a really powerful thing because, you know, so much of the curriculum, I was reading a number the other day, it says, you know, 87% of, of standards around Indigenous curriculum in K-12 is pre-1900, right? And so there's so much about this Indigenous communities are a thing of the past, not kids here today. And so uh, with Making Up Dakota, we built it out actually with kids, uh, some kids in Spirit Lake at the Warwick Public Schools. Uh, We also worked with the Upper Sioux community here in doing game design. And we had kids from a bunch of different other schools that we kind of got input through. It's a contemporary game, right? And it's set in the present and there's oral storytelling. And, you know, they go through these modules where they learn while someone else is, is telling them, you know, a a story about hunting buffalo, and then they get to solve some math problems about their, how many hunters do you need in a party, you know, and, and then they get to do a little buffalo hunting game. And But it kind of combines that past and present. And so that came directly out of conversations with the kids saying, this is what we want. And I think to, to create really good games, you need to know what your users want. And then also giving them that, that input. They have such good ideas, you know, uh, about you should make, you know, you should make it so you click on things and things happen. And, and sometimes they have ideas like, you should put zombies in. And we said, well, the historical part of that is where, you know, but, you know, it's kind of a fun, it, we did end up with a, with a Wendigo in oh one boy. game. <laughs> I was wondering. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's those things that bring them in and it gives them this sense of ownership. It gives them this sense of, you know, exposure to these STEM careers that we talk about, but also on our end, and I don't want to say it's selfishly, but it's really fun for us because we get games that kids like. And I think that's a big part of it is not just making games for kids, but bringing them into the process and making them with them because they know what kids like. <laughs> and that's called Making Camp Dakota? Yeah, Making Camp Dakota, yeah, past and present. So we have a whole Making Camp series and, and that's the newest one in it. Wonderful. Making Camp Dakota also has a really, um, I love the little powwow scene where they go to the powwow and they can buy beaded jewelry and there's math problems there. And the food trucks, it's, I love it too. It's 
it's it's interesting. And also, there's there's stuff on the site that's for parents and students as well, right? So, I as a parent can take my student online and um, get him started with uh, some seven generation games. Uh, can you take me through how I can do that and get my student online and playing the learning games? What we had done, essentially, because too, when we were starting out, we'd have, you know, you're trying to get it into schools, but one, schools are understandably slower to adopt things, right? Because they're going to be using that in classroom. And if they don't know that much about it, or, you know, they don't want to use something, they're not sure if it works or not. And so we started out and we're working with a lot of schools, but we had a lot of parents saying, you know, maybe our school's not adopting it. Can we use it as well? And our answer was yes, of course. And we wanted to make sure that it was also very either free or affordable for them because so often some of these things, it's, you know, you know, $120 a year or whatever it ends up being. And we wanted to not have that be the barrier to entry for us. So yeah, we made sure that all of our games that we have, there's school versions and those include data and a lot of things that teachers can access, but they're also available for, for parents. And and when we did our first game of Making Camp, which is um, Making Camp, it's premium, but Making Camp Ojibwe, you know, the coolest moment for me, and people always say, what are the moments you like, was one night, I, and the game was still, you know, we were just about to launch it, and I have three children, so I use them as testers. And so I, I go in, and my daughter, she's under the covers, and I, you know, pull the sheets back, like, you're supposed to be in bed. What are you doing up? It's 11 o'clock. And and I see she's up late playing our game. And so oh. I was kind of, you know, it's that torn moment where you're like, mom, business side. And you're like, you should be in bed. What do you think of the game? Do you like it? It's good, you know? But, um, and so all of the games are available um, as iPad apps because and iPhone apps. And then many of them are also available on Android because we wanted not to be something where everything's only iPad accessible or iPhone because we know a lot of the communities we're in people have Android phones, right? Um, or that they're also playable on the web, just in a browser. And so that was really important to us. Another really important thing to us was, and I joke, because it's like, you know, if your kid's playing on their device, you don't want to feel guilty about it, right? You know, sometimes, especially recently with screen time, it's just been crazy. But I said, you know, at least they're playing something educational. And that's kind of some of the feedback we've gotten. But also an important thing for us, especially based on many of the communities we're working with, is a lot of our games walk, run offline. So the app version. We joke, we had a middle school girl once and, and um, she was tasting and she I am not using my phone data for homework, right? Right. No, you you don't have to because the games run offline. And so it's not something where if you're in, you know, if you're in a rural area too, where a lot of the schools we're in, you know, the internet, Julie's Juliana's on Standing Rock, so she can certainly, you know, attest to that too. You know, not everywhere is covered by perfect Wi-Fi or, you know, cell service. And so that's not going to be an obstacle because we wanted to make sure that kids could play them whenever, wherever, and take some of that, you know, the common barriers that they faced away. So everything, so a good number of the games are also available um, and accessible fully offline once you've downloaded it on the app. Yeah, absolutely. I know this this past year, it's been such um, a big topic coming up, the access to high-speed internet. And uh, Juliana, what have you seen there in your community when it comes to access and maybe how this game, these games are available offline as well? Well, our reservation here, cell phone service data is really limited. Um, especially like the section where I live on South Sunny Rock, we get no service at all unless you have, you know, a really good Wi-Fi connection. Um, but I think that it's really important that schools have that and they're able to share it because that's the, 
the biggest, um, you know, area or the most important, you know, segment to each community is their school system and their Wi-Fi. Um, so I'm hoping that, you know, schools are able to share that, you know, connection with students so that they can do that, you know, so they can, you know, not only do seven generation games, but also do their, you know, schoolwork or whatever it is that they need to do. Um, and I know the schools here on Sunny Rock, I know this um, McLaughlin School District actually like pays for, was paying during the, you know, midst of COVID for Wi-Fi for, you know, families. Um, so that just make sure that the kids had access. Um, in terms of like, um, I'm, I'm really like focused on growing math. So I'm like, every, my brain goes there automatically. And I kind of, you know, because I've been generation games is the, the big picture. Growing math is a small piece of it. Um, but yeah, the students have, the teachers that are using it right now uh, are really finding interesting ways to do that, like in the daily, you know, in homeroom, you know, come on in and you start, you log into your seven generation games, like, you know, daily, um, the kids are really enjoying it. Um, and, and primarily because, you know, visiting with teachers is, is because they identify with, and they see that, you know, um, and it's, so it's, it's a really positive thing for them. But in terms of, um, you know, um, the, I guess, accessing it offline, um, that's, that's, I mean, important, but it's, that's, that's why I think it's important for us to be able to provide the training and guidance for teachers and, you know, get that out there so that they know how to and which, because not every single game is available offline and not every single game is available, you know, so there, so it's good to really walk through that. Thank you. And it's really great to see this like empowerment and the students can see themselves and the work that they're doing in, in their learnings. But switching gears just a little bit because we have to, uh, the numbers. Can you talk a little bit about the effect score-wise? Right. It could be cool. It could be flashy. It could be all of these things. But if it's not actually improving math scores, if it's not actually generating outcomes, I always say then we're not actually part of the solution. We're just ex exacerbating the problem, right? We're taking time away to use this thing. So actually the first year we uh, did a research study and my co-founder, Anne-Marie, is a statistician. So she loves data and she does not trust any single data set, right? So the very first time we did it, we did uh, a, like a full experiment, pretest, post us all that. And we saw it with a control group and we saw that the kids who played our games improved 30% in 10 weeks and the kids who did not play our games improved 10%. So we had a 3X improvement on the specific math scores in the game uh, over the control group. Uh, and this is, a, I, I, it's a fun story. The second year we went to go back and do it again, because like I said, she said there could be tons of different reasons. The data looks beautiful. I, we feel really confident in it, but you just never know, right? Uh, one experiment is, is a data point, but you, and so we went back to redo it. And the superintendent of the school district where we did it said, no. And we said, what do you mean? You know, we have the data. And he said, yes, I saw the data. He said, this is a small tribal community. And with the parents at one school find out that their kids, because they talk, have access to this game that's teaching their kids math. And the parents at the other school find out that their kids are in the control group. That's not going to reflect very well on me as superintendent for very long. And so I said, you know, he said, we'll, we'll be in your experiment, but both of our kids are going to be the kids using the game, both groups of our students. We said, okay, that's fine. So we went down to the next uh, town over and we said, okay, you know, hey, we're doing this experiment. Would you and, and we'd been working in these communities for a long time. So we had kind of relationships there. And they said, yeah, we'll be in your experiment. 
but we're not going to be your control group because we talk to that school down the road. We're a small town. We all, we all get together. We talk to this community and we'll be in your experimental group as well. So we couldn't actually get a school in the second year to be our control group, but we had actually four times as many students the second year. And we did um, see the same amount between 25 and 30% growth pre-test to post-test. Uh, and so that was really great in terms of, of that part. And so, and we talk a lot about, and, and the games include, you know, it's math, it's culture. Growing math is also bringing in agricultural science. Um, but really, when we talk about what we test in the games, it's specifically math, just because you can't be all things to to everyone. And that's where we really know that a strong math foundation is really what opens the doors in so many of these other subjects, right? You know, if you, if you haven't mastered multiplication, you're not going to get division or fractions or algebra. And by the time... You, so many of kids get to that grade, you know, high school and saying, well, what do you want to do? So many doors have already been almost closed to them because no one has really sat and made sure that that math foundation that's needed for all of those future STEM jobs and STEM careers is solid. And so for us, that's really been that key thing that we've been focusing on. And we know that they're learning culture and, and, and other things while they're playing these games, but making sure that they have that math foundation so that those doors are still open to them and they can go in and achieve other things. When we're doing teacher training and we kind of talk about, you know, the, the seven generation games, um, my, my little, my little spiel is if you wanted to, if you like cookies, you know, you could get, um, you know, a mass produced bag of Oreos, if that's what you like. But if you would like a homemade batch of chocolate chip cookies, then that's what we do in, in terms of like the video games and like, you know, we aren't PlayStation or Sony, but we're still like producing really um, culturally relevant games and also taking feedback from folks that, you know, are playing the games and they'll, they'll, you know, send an email that says, you know, something needs to be adjusted or, and that's really something that, you know, it's, it's powerful because, you know, the, the policy, the, practice is to get back to people within 24 hours if they reach out, you know, with something like that, any kind of question. So it's really personalized and it's really like a, it's that connection that people have with uh, seven generation games because it isn't like huge and, you know, really um, impersonal like that. I think it's about personal, like, um, you know, relationship building experience as well as video games and culture. Growing math is is available right now for for any school that wants to to get on board, you know. And so I would certainly encourage, especially you know, and it is for any school. And I I bring that up just because, you know, so often we'll have schools say, "Well, I, we're not just a tribal school, or we're not a BIE school, or things." Like, and the answer is, you know, if people only had to have exposure to curriculum that reflected 100% their students, like nobody, what white kids would ever have to take U.S. history classes, you know? And so for us, it's so important to say, you know, even if the school has, you know, a smaller percentage of Indigenous students, you know, it's important for them to see themselves reflected, but it's really important for all kids to see different stories and different perspectives reflected in their curriculum and content. And so I think, you know, we we really have Indigenous youth as a core part Part of our mission, but we also feel educating all students about the diverse histories and from from maybe sometimes different perspectives. We've had some people say, well, I didn't learn because oh, we, we have a tribal perspective and the indigenous perspective on some things. And that's fine, too, because history is not always clean and, and perfect and not always. I don't think it's ever clean and perfect and, you know, the way sometimes it's taught. But so that's an important part of what we do, too. And so I think any 
school or teacher or anyone that be interested in growing math should certainly reach out. And, and parents also, we have something for them on, on the website because, you know, everybody needs, you know, everybody's kids are probably on their devices anyway. So I, you know, I feel, I always joke, you can feel a little less guilty about giving them the tablet because they're learning something. Gotcha. And it's best to contact through the website. And I see that there is a contact form here at seven numeric seven generation games.com. Well, thank you both so much. Yeah. So yeah. Thank Thanks you, Maria. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you, Juliana. I really appreciate you. Thanks for having taking us. Taking the time to talk about what it's such a cool organization. So congratulations on moving forward. And I wish you all the best. Maria Burns-Ortiz is the CEO and co-founder of Seven Generation Games. And Juliana Taken Alive is the director of regional partnerships and leads the new Growing Math program. Thank you for listening today. Jimmy Guich, have you had a chance to try the video games from Seven Generations? Why don't you let us know on our social media, Minnesota Native News social media platforms. Till next time, Gigawabamin, and I wish you health. I'm Leah Lem. Minnesota Native News Special Edition COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health.